Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Today, the term artificial intelligence or AI is no longer a buzzword, but increasingly an integral part of our lives. What does that mean for each and every one of us? As we enter 2024, let's examine what this year means for humanity. Is AI inevitably superior alternative or double-edged sword that may deviate from its cause if left unchecked? How can we break away from the control of algorithms? Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, coming to you from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by Stephen Hoffman, or Captain Hoff, CEO and Chairman of Founders Space, a global venture builder. He's also author of several award-winning big books, including Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Forces. Also joining us from Beijing is Dr. Chen Ding Ding, founder of the think tank named Intelisia Institute, who's heavily involved in artificial intelligence, and from Shanghai, Alex Zaromronkov, founder and CEO of uh, In Silico Medicine, a generative artificial intelligence-driven clinical stage drug discovery company. Wow, a mouthful <laughs> for me. Anyway, it's great to have all of you and welcome to The Point. Um, for someone who's really an outsider to the field of artificial intelligence, maybe you could start by helping me understand what is the most defining development of AI for the year 2023. Captain Hoff, can we start with you? Well, clearly the most defining element of 2023 was the launch of ChatGTP into the public's imagination. So ChatGTP, uh, the roots of ChatGTP go way back. Before a lot of people were talking about it, I actually wrote about it in my book and said it's coming and then it came and the impact was even bigger than I think any of us expected. It grew faster and really captured the popular imagination. So what we're seeing today is ChatGTP is quite useful in a number of areas. ChatGPT or ChatGTP? Chat <laughs> I always get that mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I think I actually wish they had come up with another name because <laughs> that is, for me, a tongue twister. But in, in what specific ways, when you say it's um, so significant, and in what specific ways is it reshaping our society? So, literally, uh, everything we do is going to be impacted. And right now, we can see it. Uh, if you, a lot of people are actually reading AI articles and don't even realize it. Because increasingly, more and more of the articles written on the web are written partially or fully by AI. If you're reading weather forecasts, if you're reading stock reports, a lot of those are written by AI. People don't even realize it. So, and what we're seeing is in media, AI is now capable of creating video, AI is capable of creating audio. You can literally clone your voice right now and then you could have an avatar that looks just like you, oh doing a newscast just <laughs> like this. This technology isn't of the future, this is here right now. Wow. And it's really exciting. And it's also a little bit scary. Uh, because, Very scary. Yes. <laughs> will I lose my job? <laughs> will you lose your job? Well, hopefully they'll pay you for your voice. But those, and those are the issues that we're working out now as a society. You know, whose right is it? if an AI clones your voice, clones your image. We saw that in Hollywood, the big you know, Actors Guild strike, the Writers Guild strike. People are very concerned and all these issues are coming to a head because literally now we're at an inflection point 
where AI will be performing more and more tasks that humans used to perform. Dr. Chen, do you share uh, Captain Hoff's opinion that we're at an inflection point, that the future is already here? Yes, I agree. Right this moment, I believe it is coming. And maybe faster than most of us would uh, expect or believe. You know, for example, speaking of uh, Avatar, I've been using that, uh, you know, recently for many uh, occasions. Like two weeks ago, when I was away in Guangzhou, a group of Tsinghua uh, alumni came to our Beijing office. And of course, I couldn't be there to, uh, to greet them. So I used my own avatar, uh, you know, recording a welcoming message for, for like uh, two minutes. And people couldn't tell it wasn't me. <laughs> so it was my digital uh, person, my digital self. And so that's only the beginning. You know, we can imagine and already uh, see some of that in some factories in Guangdong province. Uh, the robots, uh, workers, robot, uh, waiter, waitress, they are coming. You know, they are coming very quickly. I think in, in the next five or six months, we'll be able to uh, experiment that uh, in some restaurants, if you will. Wow. In terms of medical application, Alex, what has happened in 2023 for you and your field? So uh, we've been uh, in the field of generative artificial intelligence since 2016, uh, from generative adversarial networks and then to generative pre-trained transformers, GPTs, uh, and uh, many other um, uh, forms of artificial intelligence uh, were utilized for drug discovery. Uh, what we see now is massive convergence of uh, multiple artificial intelligence techniques with laboratory techniques and with robotics uh, that allow us to go, go much, much faster in drug discovery and development. And this field is the field that is going to touch uh, every one of us and touch our hearts, our livers, our lungs, our brains uh, in a very profound way because currently there are 10,000 diseases and uh, less than 2,000 approved drugs. So what we've seen uh, is that our company, for example, we see uh, five clinical trials that are out of generative AI in human clinical trials, meaning that we already started bringing those drugs into humans. And one of the programs entered phase two human clinical trials where we started giving the drug to the patients. So it gives me uh, a lot of confidence that those uh, lengthy uh, drug discovery and development cycles that usually used to take 12 years and uh, used to fail 90% of the time will be much shorter, cheaper, uh, and uh, uh, with a higher probability of success. So yeah. this molecular casino uh, is now um, being run by AI in a very profound way. So we should be optimistic in every way about the future of our healthcare. And so basically when you are discovering a drug, you are using artificial intelligence by doing what? By how, how do you help use AI to, dis to discover a drug? So uh, first you need to understand the mechanism of disease. So why disease happens. Right. Uh, that uh, you process massive amounts of clinical and preclinical data mm -hmm. available about the disease from biology, from text, from many other sources. Uh, you identify the mechanism, you pinpoint it to specific protein targets. After that, uh, you validate those protein targets on animals, see if uh, you can replicate that disease on an animal model. And then you generate small molecule chemistry, usually those are uh, chemical compounds 
with the desired properties uh, that may be safe, uh, effective, uh, and go to the right organ uh, at the right amount of time, uh, in the right amount of time. And uh, then you test the combination of this new protein target and chemistry in animals to show that the drug works. And then you take it into humans to show that it works in humans and it's safe for humans. And usually this process takes you 12 years. So now with AI, we can, at the preclinical uh, level, we can mm -hmm. race very quickly. So identify those targets, generate small molecules in weeks. I see. But then it takes us years to validate on humans. I see. Well, it, it seems that it becomes much more efficient with the help of AI. But um, Captain Hoffman, but exactly what about 2023? What kind of breakthrough led to, you know, this particular, this, this moment in time where uh, everything kind, kind of just fell, in, fell into place and we're seeing what is happening? What had been driving this breaking point? Well, there are a lot of things that have been driving this breaking point. You know, this has been building for 80 years. Yeah, AI is not new. AI was being developed back in the 1950s, uh, and a lot of the algorithms that are being used today have been around for decades. So they aren't new, and that's what's surprising to people. But what is new is the growth of the internet and the whole infrastructure behind it. So with NVIDIA and their chips and the processing power, with broadband and connecting people all around the world, with the gathering and creation of public data on the internet, you have to remember that uh, chat GPT uh, feeds off data. And this is public data out there. Without the data, it's nothing. It doesn't have any power. Without the massive processing power that OpenAI put together, to actually process and train these language models, these large language models, to on this data so that they can respond in an intelligent way. So all of this has come together at this point in time, and that's why we are seeing the big change. But this could have happened earlier. Google was developing the technology. Other companies were developing the technology, like Microsoft, but they were afraid to release it. Why? Be because of their reputation. Because AI, you don't, it's a black box. You don't know what it's going to spit out. And OpenAI spent a huge amount of money having human beings rewrite the answers to a lot of the questions wow. to make them socially acceptable, wow. acceptable by society. Because a lot of times, you have to remember, there's a lot of information on the internet, and the AI doesn't know if it's saying something that's racist, saying something that would be harmful, mm that people, you know, shouldn't so, know. So why, why this moment, this particular moment, they think it is okay that the AI has been, you know, um, educated adequately to be released out in the open? They didn't know. They didn't and know. And so Google was waiting. Microsoft was waiting, but Microsoft made a strategic move. They go, we can't release this, but we can fund, give billions of dollars to this startup called OpenAI. And OpenAI, Sam Altman, said, I'm going to release it. I'm going to push it out there. I'm going, this is what startups do. They go where big corporations are afraid to go. Mm. And they pushed it open. And then all of a sudden you see all the other players, Alibaba, Google, everybody else say, oh my goodness, we can't be left out. We have to do this all too. Right. So, uh, Do Dr. Chen, um, the genie is out of, the, out of the bottle, if I can put it this way. Is this premature? 
at this moment, I mean, do, do the startups, do human beings still have control in terms of where AI is going next? You're right. In some ways, it is pre premature because we lack global regulations, standards, uh, we lack national regulations, uh, standards, you know, so to speak. And uh, we just don't know how to regulate them. You know, some people worry that once we adopt AI technologies nationwide, uh, a lot of people could be uh, losing their jobs. That's for sure. I think a lot of people will lose their jobs. And already a lot of people lost their jobs already. For example, in the uh, gaming industry, a lot of people uh, who used to uh, paint or design, they couldn't compete with uh, gpt like technologies. So they lost jobs. I've seen some, uh, some of those uh, uh, around myself in Guangzhou. And uh, very soon, if uh, robot workers can go to our kitchens, can come to our restaurants, I'm sure uh, more waiters, waitresses will also lose their jobs. So how to uh, make sure that these people, this group of people uh, do not be harmed by AI technologies? I think it's a big issue for all governments around. And uh, we, we still don't have those regulations. We still cannot figure out uh, how to, how to, what's the best way to mm -hmm. uh, to compensate these people, for example, yeah. and how to train the new generation of uh, college graduates. Uh, you know, we have more than 11 million uh, college graduates in China, right? And it will be very hard for them to to find uh, uh, interesting good jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, here are some numbers just to give people an idea of the kind of jobs that may, may be affected. For instance, in 2022, 19% of one in five of American workers were in jobs that are the most exposed to AI, in which the most important activities may be either replaced or assisted by AI. That's according to a study, a study conducted by the Peel Research Center. For instance, some of the jobs that are of high or medium or low exposure to AI include the ones that are high exposure exposure include budget analysts, data entry keyers, tax preparers, technical writers, web developers. The medium exposed jobs including chief executives, veterinarians, interior designers, fundraisers and sales managers and the low exposures including barbers, childcare workers, dishwashers, firefighters and pipe layers. I didn't see journalist or, or talk show host. <laughs> uh, Captain, um, Captain Hoffman, just very quickly, where do we, how much risk, risk do I have? <laughs> well, I will tell you, there are some jobs that are really easy to replace. And what's very interesting, what you're seeing in this data, is that high-end jobs, knowledge worker jobs, are sometimes more at risk than lower-end jobs. And it really comes down to uh, what AI does well. So for journalists, for writers, I would say they're at a medium risk uh, because there's some things that AI, oh, there's a lot of low end writing jobs that are very routine that will be taken over. Yeah. For your type of job, you're a personality. People want to see the real you. So I hope so. <laughs> so no, people still want to see people. Okay. That's that's very interesting. Uh, I want to touch upon that in just a moment, but let me go to Alex here in terms of uh, drug, uh, clinical trials for drugs and so on and so forth. Who are setting the rules and who are telling you can do this uh, with uh, AI assistance, assistance or you cannot do that with AI assistance? Who are setting the rules? How do you know what you're going is good and correct? 
Well, uh, in drug discovery, in, in development in general, there are more rules than in any other industry because uh, the job of the regulator is to protect your health. Uh, and uh, in the U.S., there is the FDA, uh, the Food and Drug Administration. In uh, China, we've got the NNPA. And regardless of how you discover the drug, doesn't matter how you did it. You can invent it, you can find it, you can stumble upon it, AI can come up with it. You still need to conduct multiple uh, validation experiments in animals first uh, and then in humans before the drug reaches the consumers. So there you shouldn't worry a single bit. Uh, you are safe. Where you might have some problems uh, is the consumerization of tools like ChatGPT and there uh, you know, people naturally start using those tools for medical purposes. Right. Even myself, sometimes I would ask a question that would relate to uh, medicine and uh, the tool will actually answer. So that is uh, a potential uh, threat to uh, the society because uh, very often those systems are wrong. Uh, I understand there are also data showing incidents. Num the number of incidents involving AI have also been increasing rapidly. For instance, the number of newly reported AI incidents and controversies in 2021 was 26 times greater than in 2012. And this growth is evident of evidence of both the greater use of AI technology and the awareness of misuse of possibilities. Captain Hoff, um, what does that say about the kind of precariousness or risk we're potentially looking at with the explosion of the technology and, uh, you know, rapid adaptation, application of AI technologies? Well, AI has, you know, enormous potential for good. But in the wrong hands, AI ha can wreak havoc in the world. And what we're seeing is there are a number of different threat areas that need to be addressed. One of the top priorities. Instance, yes. One of the top priorities is cyber crime. So there, these cyber criminals and terrorist groups out there can actually use this technology to hack into systems. They can also use it to spread disinformation, and that's a global problem we're seeing. There are other areas that are really sensitive um, that people aren't even thinking about. Um, one of these is they have AI security cameras now that can follow you around in a store and simply by how you walk around the store, it can predict if you are likely to steal a product. Now, for a shop owner, this is great. They can run a shop to you and say, please leave the store. Wow. Our AI detected you will, you will steal something. But imagine, AI isn't perfect. It makes mistakes. So if you come up and you are one of the people that it makes a mistake on, your life is ruined, right? Every time you enter a store, the AI is identifying you as a criminal. They have AI now that they are using in U.S. courts, in the U.S. justice system, to determine whether prisoners should be released from prison, whether they are likely, based on their data, to commit another crime. Now, if there's a murderer in there, and the AI can be much better than humans, and say, oh, keep this person locked up, they are likely to commit another crime, uh, that is good, but it is also bad. Because imagine if it's making a mistake, and some people, you know, will never get out of prison because the AI is saying you will commit a crime even though they know they wouldn't. 
so um, who, has, who, who is in control now? <laughs> I mean, who, is in control? who decides whether AI can have the say? Or who's, who, who's saying, no, not, don't let AI take over? The, the, this is, you asked the fundamental question that we have to grapple with. Who's in control? These cameras that can detect your future actions, these uh, systems that read your data and can predict what prisoners will do, what people in courts of law will do, all throughout society, who's in charge? We don't know because these systems are being rolled out right now and companies are rolling them out and we're putting them into use and what rights do we have as individuals? What actions should the government take? These are fundamental ethical issues we have to sort out. Hmm. Dr. Chen, while you are actively um, developing um, platforms using AI or products using AI, what are you most concerned with and what kind of guardrail, what kind of efforts are you putting to make sure that your avatar is not running out of your control? <laughs> You're right. My biggest worry is the uh, rapid development uh, of AI technologies because it's you know developing so fast that we human beings cannot catch up. Basically, you know, every month, every week, there'll be new developments, and you know, think about think think about you know auto agents. Uh, sometimes, right? You know, they can perform all these you know our everyday life tasks automatically and that's also coming and maybe sometime next year some version of that could be available to the public then we can you know auto uh you know perform our you know daily writing task our you know ordering uh grocery and the lunch box etc and you know I, I think it's it's coming too fast because we, we don't have the enough time to debate we don't have enough time to to regulate and i think that's the biggest worry we we, we just we just get lost we don't know how to deal with this uh, new kind of a uh, uh, species in a way yeah um actually you know if you if you look at the chinese uh, short video platforms some of the videos out there that are so real that I think for many, many people, they are not able to tell whether this is computer generated or this is a real person. For instance, they can have, uh, um, I don't know, uh, an American pop star speaking Chinese and perfect lip movement and all of that. So, and right now they're rolling out. This is going out without any label. For instance, this is AI generated. What kind of debate has to happen? Um, Captain Hoff, let me go to you. What kind of debate debate is going on? Is there, are we going to have some kind of understanding that for at least all the AI generated contents will be labeled so, so people do not fall into the trap and thinking they're real. Actually, President Biden just passed an executive order that says exactly that. His new executive order says that AI uh, products, uh, whether it's media, somebody, you know, a deep fake, an image of somebody, whether it's voice, whether it's writing, it has to be labeled as coming from AI. Mm. So that is one thing. Now, some people won't label it, so we're gonna see how to enforce it will really be the question. Why would people not want to label it? Well, you, you imagine, if you go to a major AI uh, platform like uh, ChatGPT, they are going to comply with the regulations. But if you go to some overseas platform in some other country, it could be anywhere in the world, mm. they might not comply with that. 
I see. So they wouldn't be automatically labeled, so you wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, uh, right now, uh, Dr. Chen, China is huge in terms of uh, AI. What does that say about China's determination to be ahead in terms of AI development? And what is being done by the Chinese policymakers and authorities in terms of making sure that AI is safe and under, under control? So in 2023, the Chinese government has issued several uh, laws or regulations uh, when it comes to AI technology development. For example, the uh, CAC, uh, Wang Xinban, has issued regulations uh, precisely to regulate the, the, the kind of products you were and Alex were worried about, you know, how to label AI product. Now, if you go to some platforms like Douyin or, or uh, uh, WeChat, some of the short videos that are made by uh, computers, by AI, they have the uh, AI label there, but the worry still is people sometimes ignore that because you don't look you know, careful enough, right? You're gonna uh, just neglect that uh, label. And moreover, if the short video is funny enough, it's interesting enough, mm. you ignore whether it's made by human beings or AI. And so we are increasingly sort of getting used to uh, human beings coexisting with AI uh, world, so to speak. And that, that probably is, you know, my, my, my biggest worry. But the government is uh, taking steps to do that. But whether it's enough that's uh, uh, keeping up with the speed, it's another debate. I see. And Alex, finally, you have decided to do AI-driven clinical stage um, drug discovery here in China. You're based in uh, Shanghai, if I understand correctly. What drives your decision? So we are a truly global company. Uh, we have uh, R&D centers in uh, six countries or regions. Uh, and uh, the reason why we decided to be so heavy on China, so to speak, is because China has the world's best, in my opinion, infrastructure for AI validation in our space. Mm -hmm. So AI can invent drugs very quickly, but then you need to make them and test them. And uh, China over the past 20 years has invested, in my opinion, over half a trillion dollars into biomedical research infrastructure. I see. It is just uh, the level of quality is next to none. So if you want to very rapidly validate your AI to understand if it worked, you actually want to do it here. And okay. also to ensure that the level of quality of the drug yeah. is very high. We have to leave it there. Time has run out. But I'm sure China has been very active in terms of uh, participating and designing the architecture in terms of AI global governance. And that is an ongoing story. Many thanks to my guests, uh, Stephen Hoffman, Captain Hoff, Dr. Chen Dingding, and Alex Zavoronkov, joining us from Beijing and Shanghai. Thank you so much. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xing, coming to you from Beijing. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. This is not an avatar. <laughs> Happy New Year and I hope you've got the point.